The early church was surprised when God accepted Gentiles into his church. For they had discovered that God had not come to save just a few select individuals, but had sent his son Jesus to be a global redeemer. Today we learn about Cornelius the Centurion's salvation on this edition of the Bellator Christie podcast as we discuss Acts chapter 10. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. studied over this chapter, God seems to be want me to cover the entire thing. So uh, instead of reading the entire chapter, we're going to ask if you would just uh, turn your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read verses 34 through 36, and we'd ask everyone who can and is able to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Now, as we go through the message, it's going to be a little bit different, operate a little bit different as I normally have. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the other sections of this chapter as we run through the entire chapter of chapter 10. So I promise to try not to keep you till 12, past 12, midnight tonight. So uh, we're going to try to get uh, through this as best we can. So anyhow, looking at uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, this is really the, the center, the, the central truth of this entire chapter. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to His children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know which was, from, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and what it means to us. And we just simply ask, Lord, this morning that as I just try to expound your word of truth, that you would allow me simply to be your microphone, speaking the words that need to be spoken, holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And that through it all, Lord, we would open our, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. 
I think it was in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, the Summer Olympic Games were held in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And one of the, uh, one of the most famous things about Rio de Janeiro is a statue called the, the Cristo Redentor, uh, which is a statue of Jesus. In English, it means Christ the Redeemer. It's a massive statue of Christ with His arms outstretched. There's a chapel in this statue. There's a little cafe in this statue. And the interesting thing is, is that as you look at this statue, it's up on this high mountain, and it's as if Jesus himself has his arms out into the entire world, saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Even these secular media outlets, as they spanned across the uh, Rio area, they couldn't help but catch uh, a glimpse of the statue of Jesus with his arms outstretched, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Even some of the outdoor games, uh, you, you might catch a glimpse over on the hillside as they're going track and field and shot put and discus and all these different events, uh, the, the baseball games and all these different things that they had at the 2016 Summer Olympic Games. You couldn't help but catch a glimpse of that mountain with Christ with His arms outstretched. Beloved, I think that that statue reminds us of a great central truth, and that is that Christ did not come just to, to, to save a small group of individuals, but Christ came so that the world could be saved. Christ is a global Redeemer. He came to save all who would receive Him as Savior in God, as, so, because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, and that word whosoever means whosoever, believeth in Him should not perish but would have everlasting life. And beloved, I think we see that point, that truth in this passage of Scripture today. We're going to look at three primary points as we go through this as we see that Jesus is the global redeemer. It's found in first and foremost Cornelius being the religious sinner. We're going to take a look at that. We're also going to look at Peter being a resistant soul winner. And then we're going to look at the combination of Peter and Cornelius related saints. Now why is this important? Well, start with me back in the first part of chapter 10 verses 1 through 8. We're going to first of all see that global, the, Jesus' global redemption is found in Cornelius being a religious sinner. Now Cornelius, you have to understand, he had religion. He was a nice man. He was a good man, but he was still a, he was still a sinful man. He was still a man caught up in his sins who needed the salvation found only in and through Jesus Christ. Note, note with me first of all that Cornelius was religious in his ethics. In verses 1 and 2, we see that there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion. He was a Roman centurion. This meant being a centurion, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. It was a centurion uh, who was in charge of Jesus' own execution. Uh, it may have even been Cornelius for all we know, or it may have been someone else. We're not told that in Scripture. But Cornelius was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. This was the Italian branch of the Roman, uh, Roman uh, soldiers, of the Roman troops. He was a centurion of this regiment. Notice also in verse 2, he was a devout man. He wasn't an evil man. 
He was a man that tried to serve God. He was a man who loved God. Uh, He was a devout man, one who feared God, who respected God with all of his household. Not only he alone, but his entire household did as well. Who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. If you were to see this man on the street, you would say to yourself, Man, this, this guy's a nice guy. Surely his heart's right with God. Well, he was seeking after God, but understand something very clearly. Religion does not save you. Amen? Religion does not save you. Tradition does not save you. Salvation is only found in and through Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I have a friend of mine who's working on his Ph.D. down at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And we were talking about a very famous preacher that you see on television. I won't mention who it is. But we started talking about some of his beliefs. And obviously some of those beliefs were outside the scope of Orthodox Christianity. And I was talking to him. I said, you know, this guy seems like a nice guy. But Drew, a man in his 20s who has the, the wisdom of someone who's been with the Lord a lot longer than that, says, but Brian... Nice people can be heretics too. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right about that. We have to make sure if we love God and we're saved by the grace of God that we hold our theology according to what the Word of God tells us. Because understand, beloved, if if we live our lives and we say, I love God, I love Christ, and we don't accept something that Scripture clearly teaches us, then we're rebelling against God in that regard. Now, we see that Cornelius was a nice man, but his heart was not right with God. We also have to understand that good works will not save us. Uh, While faith, I do believe, as James says, produces works, Faith without works is dead, James reminds us. We also see that good works alone will not save us. Isaiah tells us in chapter 64, verse 6, that if you take all of our good works and you put them all together before a holy God, they're like filthy rags. That's what the Bible tells us. Because God is so great, God is so holy, and even our best efforts aren't enough to save us. Only God and God alone can save us. But we also see in verses 3 through 8 that Cornelius was religious in his sin. He was was a religious man, but he was still caught in his sin. And how do we know this? We see this from what God himself told him. And see, you see, God loves Cornelius, and he was willing to reach out his hand to Cornelius to save Cornelius. At about the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, now that'll wake you up, won't it? You know, you're praying 3 p.m., and you see an angel of God calling your name. And when he observed him, he is afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for one whose name is Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, um, this is like a taxidermist, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Now notice God didn't tell him everything. He wanted him to meet with Simon Peter. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on them continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. We see that God was getting hold of Cornelius' heart. He was about to bring someone to him who would share with him the gospel message. And I believe, understand, understand this, beloved. I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But 
I do believe that God is a saving God. And there is evidence that all throughout the world, God is giving people visions. God is giving people dreams. God is leading individuals to salvation. He is bringing individuals into the family of God, those whom we ourselves could not reach. And I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see many people from all across the world that we didn't anticipate being there because of God's outreach, because of God's missionary endeavor we see here. Because God is building up a kingdom for Christ so that every people, nation, and language and tongue should serve Him. Heaven will be an international and multi-ethnic place. When you get to heaven, you're going to see people from all across history, all across the world. You'll get to talk to saints of God from Pakistan, from Russia, from China. You'll get to talk to other saints of God here from the United States. You'll get to talk to, guess, guess, you'll get to, talk to Moses, to Abraham, the saints of bygone years, and many of the saints who we do not know and have never heard. You know, we only know of just a very small segment of people throughout history. Many people throughout history have gone to be with the Lord whose names have been lost to us throughout history. But you'll get to meet several individuals, several saints of God. You'll get to hear many testimonials of how God has reached out to save individuals from all across the world. Aren't you glad that God is a saving God? Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at us according to our nationality, according to our race, according to how tall we are? Praise God for that. If God didn't save short people, I would be doomed. Amen? I would be in trouble. Praise God that he saved short people. Uh, so, so God is a God who is, shows no partiality as we see back in verses 34 and following. But we also see that Jesus' global redemption is not only found in Cornelius, a man who desired a relationship with Christ, who desired a relationship with God. He had religion, but he didn't quite have that relationship with Christ that he so de desperately needed. Jesus' global redemption is also found in Peter. Now, how was this found in Peter? Because Peter was saved by the grace of God, but Peter was caught up in tradition. Now, many of you in church ministry and leadership, you know what I'm talking about here. God gives you a vision, and, and you, you want to, see, you want to think, see things happen. But what? Now, listen, I'm going to step on some toes. I'm, I'm going to step on mine too, okay? A lot of times what people will say, but preacher, but deacon, but... but Sunday school teacher, we've never done it that way before. Anyone ever heard that before? <laughs> I can't do that. We've never done it that way before. Did you know Peter said the same thing to God? <laughs> Peter said the very same thing to God. Look what we're talking about here. In verses, 10, uh, verses 9 through 16, Peter was resistant in his divine vision. Look what God's doing here. The next day... As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Cornelius has sent his people to come get Simon Peter. Peter went up to his own household to pray about the sixth hour, which was 12 noon, which is drawing nigh even now. Almost at the same time we're gathered together, Simon Peter went up to his house, on top of his house, to pray. And then he became hungry. And I see some of you looking at your clocks. Yeah, we're going to release here soon. Just hang tight with me. Okay, because we're getting hungry for our own lunches here in a few moments. But he came hungry and he wanted to eat. But while the, he was making lunch ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object... Tommy Doss, where is he? Tommy Doss is back there. You're going to like this, brother. You're going to like this right here. 
He fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners. It's like a blanket descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him. All of these things were non-kosher foods. These were non-kosher foods. Philip, it might have been a deer or two in there, I think. I'm wondering, you know. Uh, they're, they're non-kosher foods, okay? And so look what the voice says. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. How many hunters do we have in here today? You're going to like this verse. <laughs> that means it's okay to hunt. You know, you see what here. Uh, but Peter said, not so, Lord. Now, now look what Peter says. Lord, I've never done it that way before. Not so, Lord. Now I have never eaten something common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. God had to do this three times to get it through Peter's head that it was okay to eat these meats. And the object was taken up to heaven again. You see, God was, was, was doing something powerful here. And I thank God that he did this. What he's doing here is, is the things that were on the list before that you can't eat, he said, is acceptable now. And I'm really glad for this. You know Why? Because I love breakfast. And in breakfast time, I really love good old bacon and eggs. Anybody else there with me? I love me some bacon and eggs. I love the eggs scrambled. I love the bacon nice and crispy. On Thanksgiving break, you know, I fixed us up some, uh, well, I fixed us up some bacon and eggs one morning. And we ate it. The next morning, uh, we woke up and I said, well, I think I'll fix us some bacon and eggs. Jennifer says, Brian, you can't eat it every morning. I said, why not? It's good. You know, why can't you eat it every morning? It's some good food right there. But, you know, bacon is pork. And so if this hadn't happened, then we as Christians wouldn't have been able to eat pork. But because this vision, God had made these things clean. Now, some people ask this question, when if God had made it illegal before, why did he make it legal now? When you read the Old Testament, you need to understand there are three kinds of laws. There's what's called the moral laws. These laws are transcendent. These laws never fail. Uh, the Ten Commandments are, are among the, the, the moral laws. It's never right to murder. Now, now this is not saying, this is not talking about self-defense, okay? This is not talking about if you've ever served in the military or anything like that. Murder is a premeditated killing of an innocent human being. That's what murder is. It's always wrong to commit murder. It's always wrong to commit adultery. It's always wrong to, to, to uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. The Ten Commandments you see there, it's always wrong to do that. But in the law, you also have these civil laws. These are the laws you see that if, that if someone's cow falls in and this thing happens, and this, what are you going to do there? This only dealt with the nation of Israel at that particular point in time. Now, there are moral truths that you can find there uh, because it is in the Word of God. You find some moral principles through that. But you also have these ceremonial laws. These were laws that priests went through, people went through, to make themselves clean before God. What God is saying now is He said, these ceremonial laws are of no effect because Christ has come to die once for all that whosoever will believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so because this is true, you have been made right with God. So these ceremonial laws, 
don't really matter anymore. Uh, they don't really, they ha- they're of little effect anymore. Because understand, if God has deemed you saved, if God has saved your soul, then praise God, He has already accounted you righteous before Himself. Uh, he's already justified. You know, so you don't have to work for the approval of God. Understand this. If God has saved you, you don't have to work for His approval. You already have it. Amen? You've already, you already have God's approval. If you've been saved and redeemed, you already have the approval of God. You don't have to make work to, to, to make God love you. He already loves you. He has an everlasting love for you. And nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, somebody needs to say amen or I'm going to blow up here. Amen? Nothing is going to separate you from the love that's found in Christ Jesus. But Peter was also resistant in his destined visitation. Now, Peter had a problem here. God says all these meats that were illegal before, you can eat them now because you've been redeemed by the blood of my son. But look what happens. When Peter wondered within himself what this vision meant, he, he, he beheld men who had been sent from Cornelius, who, who had made inquiry for Simon's house, wondering where Simon was, stood before the gate, and they asked for Simon Peter, you see in verse 18. And then Peter thought about the vision, and the Spirit of God said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And you see in verse 21 that Peter goes with the men, he invites them inside, and they tell him in verse 22 their business that about Cornelius having the vision. And in verse, 23, uh, verse 22, they, they gather together, they lodge together with Peter. The next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanying them. Now think, if you're Simon Peter, think about this. God has already moved your cheese already. God has already, it was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was one who was persecuting the church. Saul of Tarsus, he gets saved... He sees the resurrected Jesus. He gets saved. And God says, I want you to accept Saul of Tarsus in your congregation. And Peter's like, do what? That guy, do you, you know who that guy is? Do you realize what that guy's been doing? He's trying to persecute us. He's trying to kill us. He's trying to cast us away from these communities. And you want us to accept him in the church? God says, yes, I do. Peter says, okay, <laughs> okay. And now he has this vision on his rooftop and God says to him, Peter, all these meats that have been deemed unclean, you can eat them now. And Peter says, wait a minute, God, I've never done it that way before. Since I've been a little boy, I've kept myself clean, richly clean, and I've never eaten those things. What are you talking about? God says, if I say they're clean, they're clean. Peter says, okay, Lord. Now he has these Roman soldiers come into his house. And God says, I want you to go with these Roman soldiers. Peter did not know what in the world was taking place here. You want me to go with these Roman soldiers. These guys can kill me in a moment's notice. These guys can crucify me the same way they crucified Jesus. You want me to go with them to this unknown location to meet a centurion? God says, yes. I'm sure Peter was going, Lord, are you sure? (laughs) God says, yes. He said, are you absolutely sure? God says, yes, I want you to go with them. And sure enough, he does. Understand something, beloved. A lot of times we talk about comfort. We have our comfort zones. But if God has saved you and God has called you, God is not as interested in you being comfortable as he is in you being convicted. Amen? 
He's not, he's going to move you out of your comfort zone because God desires to see souls saved. He is going to move you out of your comfort zone. Maybe to talk to somebody that you've never met before. Maybe to speak with someone who looks a little different than you do. Maybe to someone for whom you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we... Let me just tell you, for out throughout all of history, people have given excuses to God why they can't do something. And I just want to tell you, God's won every conversation and every debate that's ever come that way. Amen? Moses said, Lord, I can't go to Pharaoh and speak to Pharaoh. You know, I'm not a good speaker. Did that stop God from using Moses? <laughs> Absolutely not. God says, listen, I'm going to equip you. You just be obedient and you go and you do as I call you to do. Charles Ryrie says that leading, leading is a confirmation of sonship. If God is leading you and he, God is uh, drawing you and, 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 and leading you to do great things, you can know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with Him. The work of guidance is particularly the work of the Holy Spirit. Last but certainly not least, we see Jesus' global redemption. This is found in Peter, the reluctant soul winner, and Cornelius, the religious sinner. But finally, we see through the verse 24 through the rest of the chapter that Jesus' global redemption is found in the combination of Peter and Cornelius, now related saints. Cornelius, perhaps an Italian centurion and the Roman guard. Peter, a Jewish fisherman. These two were going to be related in the family of God. Aren't you glad to know that in God there's no, there's no different races? There's only one race, the Christian race. Aren't you glad to know that in God there's no different nationalities? There's only one nationality. That's the people of God. Amen. We have a family worldwide if you're in Christ Jesus. Now look what happens. We see that Cornelius' relatedness is found in his reception. In verse 24 and following, the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, called together his relatives and close friends. And look what happens in verse 25. As Peter was coming in, look what Cornelius does. Peter doesn't know what to expect. He's going in this Roman centurion's house, and look what Cornelius does. He didn't know, Simon didn't know if he goes in there, if he's going to have sword drawn and instantaneously take him out at that point in time. But Cornelius meets him and falls down at his feet and worships him. Do you see what happened? Cornelius is on his face worshiping Peter. And Peter says, get up off the floor. What are you doing? He says, stand up. I myself am also a man. And so as he talked with him, he went in and found many who would come together. And they said to them, you know how unlawful it is. Now look what Peter says. Do you know how unlawful it is for me, a Jewish man, to keep company with or go to one of another nation? Well, that'll bless your heart. Peter basically comes in and says, you know, I'm not really supposed to be meeting with you guys. I'm not even supposed to be coming in your house. It's against our tradition for me to do this. But he goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? In verses 30 through 33, Cornelius tells Peter, that he's had a vision, and God told him to send Peter to him. So Peter goes into Cornelius' house and says, Cornelius, what do you, what, what do you, why am I here? And Cornelius says, well, God told me to send you here. I don't know why are you here. Neither one knew the reason for their meeting. But by that time, the Spirit of God got a hold of Peter. And we see in verses 34 and following, 
We see the reception that happened that, that uh, the individuals of the household had received Simon Peter and were willing to hear the message of truth. And beloved, let me also say here today that if you have a copy of God's Word, consider yourself blessed. There are people in China that would give their left arm to have a, what you have in your hand right now. In fact, I saw a video not long ago of, of these Chinese individuals who just had received their own copy of the Word of God in their own language of Mandarin. And they were weeping and they were sobbing with great joy knowing that they had a copy of God's Word. Oh, that we would have that same enthusiasm, that same reception. But we see that Peter's relatedness is also found in his realization. He realizes the message that God has given to him. The message of the gospel was not sent to Israel alone, but was sent to the world so that the world could hear that there is salvation found in Jesus Christ. And beloved, I've asked this before and I would ask again, unless you are a full-blown Jew, that means that you are automatically by definition a Gentile, of which I am myself am. And it's good to know that, if, that God not only came to save the Jews, but He came to save the Gentiles as well. The fact that we have salvation is even granted by the fact that Jesus is a global Savior. So we see it in His realization. We also see that everyone's relatedness. Peter's relatedness found in the realization. Cornelius's uh, relatedness found in his reception. But everyone's relatedness is found in verses 37 through 48 through repentance. Look and see what Peter does. Peter goes over the core essentials of the message of Christ. Notice in verse uh, 37 through 38, Peter mentions the identity of Jesus. That uh, he talked about how, uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In fact, he was, in fact, God incarnate. We see also in verse 39, the atonement of Christ, that uh, we are witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, talking about the crucifixion. Also down in verse 43, he says, Whosoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. We see also that we talks about the resurrection of Jesus in verses 40 and 41. Uh, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not only to the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. The mission of Christ is shared in verse 42. He commanded us to preach the people, testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, and then the prophecies of Christ in verse 43, as well as the forgiveness. Now we see in verses 44, through following that the Holy Spirit had come down upon the people here in this household. And they were given the same gifts that the Jews had been given. And this absolutely amazed everyone who was of Jewish descent. Because they realized that the Holy Spirit had come not just to save a small group of individuals, but He had come to save everyone who had openly received the grace of God fully bestowed upon them. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad about that? Because there's an intellectual element of this. We see that there's a change of view mentally. There's an emotional element that we realize that we need to be sorrowful for our sin and be committed uh, towards goodness and justice and, and, uh, and, and, and towards God. And there's also a volitional element, which is a change of purpose, an inward turning from sin and turning towards Christ Jesus. But I would say to you that a lot of times God forgives us of our sins but the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. 
Because a lot of times we'll look back in life and we'll see and think about something that we've done in the past and we'll say, there's no way God can love me after that. But you know what? He does. Because while we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us Christ died for us and prepared a way for us to be with Him in heaven. We're not serving a Savior who came just to save a small group of people. We're serving a Savior who came to save all those who would receive openly the grace of God given by Him. Let me close with this. This past week, you know, we, uh, there's a, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of bugs, a lot of stomach bugs and all these type of different things going around. And unfortunately, me being one who has digestive issues, anyhow, it seems like when you have digestive issues, you're just, you're just open to stomach bugs whenever they come by. I'm usually, it's like I have a neon sign saying vacant on my head anytime a stomach bug comes around that they just want to take residence with me for whatever reason. But this past Monday, I caught a stomach bug and, uh, and uh, went to bed really early Monday night, woke up really early Tuesday morning, and they had a guy on this uh, talk radio station. And it was this physicist who said that there's great evidence for God, and I would agree with him that there is great evidence for God. But, you know, I listened to him, and I thought, well, surely this guy is a Christian. But as I listened to him, and he accepted all these things about God, he just hadn't quite understood the full revelation of God, that Jesus had come to die for the sins of the world. He had had accepted the fact that God exists, but he had not made that transitional step over to receive the revelation we find in Scripture. But I want to say to you that there's hope for such a man like that. There's hope for any individual that's out there because the grace of God is powerful. And it can transform a person who is heading down a road towards sin and destruction to transform that person, leading them on a pathway going to heaven. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to challenge you here this morning that if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and start that relationship with Him. You may say, preacher, I've said this before, you've heard me say this before. You may say, preacher, you don't know the things I've done in the past. I don't need to know those things. God already does, and He's willing to save you regardless. God already knows about your past. He knows about your present. He knows about your future. He knows everything there is to know about you, and He is still willing to save you from your sin. So if you're here today and you've never made that faith commitment, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him this morning. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've been wearied and heavy laden with the problems of the world and you just need to come down and lay those, lay those, uh, lay those problems and issues before the Lord and maybe rededicate your life. We encourage you to do that. Or maybe you'd like to come join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart, we just encourage you to come as the Spirit leads. Kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful piece of Scripture that we've read this morning. We thank you, Lord, that the Bible, that your revelation wasn't just given for a small select individuals. It wasn't given just for the intellectual elite. It wasn't given for the, uh, those of high socioeconomic status. It wasn't given just for those of a certain nation, of a certain race, or a certain language. It was in fact given so that the world would know you, so that the world could come and enjoy the eternal bliss in heaven so that the world could know that there is salvation found in and through and only
The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.